Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Coming off the bye. The Baltimore Ravens ready to take that long stretch into the postseason. It's mid-November. Thanksgiving is around the corner. The Ravens are 6-3. and three. lot to discuss this week on Pod Like a Raven. I am Antonio Barbera. After a weekend of no Ravens football, I, feel, I, I felt a, a, a hole in my soul uh, over the weekend, and I figured out it was that there was no Ravens game to root for, cheer on, stress eat, stress drink, pass out, take a nap, wake up, have a 10-point lead, and then who knows what happened after that. And I'm ready to discuss football again with the fellas, preview a game, lot to talk about in the NFL world, some interesting preview notes for the Ravens against the Panthers we've we've sort of circled the drain on that one in terms of how many different outcomes that game could have and then we're also at the halfway point for the Ravens and we are going to go over the players the team's performance give out some awards and then do some of our games as well so let me bring in my two co-hosts starting on the west coast it's Jace Evans Jace a, a, a peaceful weekend for you just in terms of heart pressure or I should say blood pressure, uh, or or not. No, it was a delightful weekend, Antonio. You know, I, I love the Ravens, obviously, but you are right. They they add stress to my life in many ways. Uh, is that healthy? Who's to say? But it happens. I can't control what happens when I watch the Ravens. Uh, no, it's great to just watch some of these games. You know, you, I, you have the red zone going, early games, late games, and you're just you're just watching football and. You know, to not have a, a like a vested interest in really any result just makes for great watching. You just watch that that Bills Vikings game, which I know we'll talk about a little bit more later, and just go, "Wow, that's fun!" And uh, you know, and my emotions aren't really wrecked either direction. It was just a good time. So yeah, I I, I too miss the Ravens, but sometimes it's nice to have these refresh weeks, and you just kind of kind of lay back, and you don't get the added the negative uh, added pressure to your life. And on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Now, for those of you 
feel like most of the listeners may know this, but some may not. Tim works in the world of, of football, European football, not, not American football. And the World Cup right around the corner, so a lot going on for Tim these days. Tim, hopefully that meant that a bye was maybe just at the right time for you as you guys ramp up prep for what is going to be a busy month uh, with the World Cup. Yeah, it's funny, uh, Antonio. Uh, so yeah, the European, the World Cup's coming. I was at MLS Cup in LA last weekend as well, so it's just been a whirlwind. And that would have been smart to spend my weekend maybe doing some extra work, chipping away at some things that I could have gotten, you know, gotten ahead of. You know, Monday mornings, uh, Mondays especially, are always a very busy day, whether it's, you know, Premier League, MLS Cup final, like we talk about, the World Cup, which is in, as you listen to this on Tuesday, five days away. It starts on Sunday, people. I know it's ridiculous because, um, you know, the entire thing is corrupt. What did I do? I spent the entire weekend playing God of War. Uh, and so I didn't get any prep done uh, to the point. Game's amazing, by the way, for all my nerds out there. You, you know this already. Um, uh, but it was, it was a nice kind of, I, you know, I needed the mental health break of not having to deal with work stuff. So I put it into slaying Norse gods and then watching Red Zone on my iPad and... It was lovely, but now as we sit here on Monday evening recording this, I am just beyond stressed. Uh, so yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Not having the the Ravens stress to add on to that was was a nice, like you said. I, I love watching Ravens football, but this might have been the perfect time to not have it. Can we get a little uh, little World Cup final prediction from you? Oh man, putting you on the um, spot here, putting you on the air. Yeah, I'd have to look at if you have to look to look at the groups and how everything plays out. It's so tough to predict based on how the bracket plays out after the group stage. I really, really like Argentina. Um, I think that that team is is well constructed. Messi's kind of final last run, and I don't want to say Brazil. That would be a fun final, obviously. Two teams that hate each other. I can't say Italy for Antonio, okay. unfortunately, because um, you know North Macedonia exists. <laughs> and France is in turmoil. We're taking way too long on this anyway. You know what? I'll go with the Germans. The, the Germans have some injury issues, but people aren't talking about Germany, and I think it's weird that they're not. H under Hansi Flick, they've been very, very good. They're always well, well drilled and disciplined. So give me Argentina, Germany, a rematch of the final from two World Cups ago, but this time the Argentines come out on top and they lift the World Cup trophy. I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm going to throw Brazil in there for my prediction. Too much talent up top. They're going to score. Yeah. They're going to average three goals a game in this tournament. It's going to be too much. Jace, any prediction from U USA <laughs> for you? Uh, maybe not the biggest yeah, soccer fan in the world. In but... uh, I, I, uh, I watched a ton of the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. Uh, you know, I was an unemployed man at the time. Watched a lot of 2014 World Cup. Not sure I watched a game of the 2018 World Cup. So I'm a little uh, <laughs> a little behind on my soccer knowledge. But uh, I like Germany. I always pick Germany to do well. So I, I, let's go with them too. <laughs> the Germans. Watch out for the Netherlands too. People are not talking about Louis van Gaal's army. And that team... <laughs> When he's when he's at the helm of the of the Dutch, they seem to do some good things. So watch out for them as well. All right, let's move from soccer to football, the American football. And before we get into any games that happened over the weekend, it's a Ravens podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Ravens as they have hit what is essentially the midpoint here uh, of the seventeen game season. Six and uh, six and three with the bye. Players getting healthy, hopefully. Uh, we've already had some guys trickle back in, back into the lineup. There's been some highs and lows, some ups and downs. 
a lot of annoying situations, some frustrating losses, but I think we, we would kind of take six and three uh, at this point in the season, looking at it, looking back, but going to give out some, some grades here, some awards, discuss, you know, how comfortable we feel in this team. Everybody's been talking about the second half schedule here is going to get very easy in theory, record wise, in terms of the opponents that the Ravens face. So we will sort of analyze how we see the team finishing the season as well. But let's start with how they've performed up until now. Give out some grades here. Maybe an offensive grade, a defensive grade, uh, a coaching grade. Um, starting offensively. Jace, what kind of score? You know, there have been stretches of dominance and then stretches where they truly can't run a play without a formation penalty. So that, you know, pre-snap issues, much less issues with the actual running of the play. What is your uh, assessment at the at the halfway point here for the Ravens offense? So so, so I landed on a B, because uh, like you said, they started the first, I think, three games of the season, you'd say they might have had the best offense in the NFL. They were incredible. Lamar was firing. He had, the, you know, those back-to-back games, like four touchdowns, five touchdowns against the Patriots. It just looked really good. Uh, and then, yeah, they've been way inconsistent amid what has become persistent injury issues, which has been frustrating, especially uh, with the running back position where, you know, we were so excited uh, to get J.K. Dobbins back, so excited to get Gus Edwards back. And then they both suffered, you know, kind of new... J.K. is kind of a re-up of his existing injury, but just both injured again. And we saw, especially when Gus was in there, just how, how dynamic he makes them. Uh, so I've settled on a B, you know, overall 12th in yards, fourth in points, which is great. You know, they're the fourth highest scoring team in the NFL. Um, so even though it's been consistent, uh, or inconsistent rather, I think on the whole, they've graded out well there, you know, and especially lately, I, you know, we've talked in, in, in recent, uh, weeks, I, 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 this, this kind of return they've done to sort of a 2019 style, uh, attack. I, I've been in favor of it, and I think it's really, you know, helped them to to play a full, well-rounded game. I don't think it's a coincidence against the Bucks and against the 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 in the second half against the Bucks, and then just last week against the Saints. They, I think, they had their most complete games of the year. Uh, they're back to running the ball dominantly, number two behind the Bears, who are basically only running the ball uh, in terms of rushing yards. Uh, and they're number two, up to number two in time of possession, and they've dominated that stat in recent weeks. Last three weeks, they've averaged over 36 minutes time of possession. So I think they're rounding into four with their rushing attack. The return of Ronnie Stanley has really helped with that. So I'm going with a B for the offense. Highs and lows, but I, I think, uh, you know, they started hot. They kind of hit a ditch, uh, ran off the road a little bit. But now I think they've, they've, they've pulled out of the ditch, and they've just kind of committed to this run game attack. And I think it's been really working. So, yeah, I'll go with a B. Yeah, I, I'm kind of there, maybe B minus, um, and I'm only there because of the positivity coming off the Saints win. I think if that was kind of a uh, ho hum, they got it done in the end, and we're still super worried about the injury concerns, I might even go solid C, uh, despite you know how how good they started. Um, and I, injuries have to take effect. Like you have to take these into account with this. You know, Bateman being out for the year. Who the hell knows when J.K. is coming back, and if he's going to be J.K. Dobbins or or which is you know a, a mini. What's annoying Tim? What we all predict for J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins hasn't done it yet. Like so, we just have to stop assuming 
even though his agent, Zach Hiller, wants us all to know on Twitter how great he is, we have to stop assuming that he's going to be some superstar and see it first. But despite that, you know, the injuries to him um, as well, Lamar's kind of up and down play. I'm going to go B minus um, and would probably be a C uh, without that, again, positivity that we got heading into the bye. And the fact that there are some worries that this running, this rushing attack is great. You know, that's fantastic. But I, I was listening to some stuff today while, while doing work, and there's a team that we probably are going to face in the playoffs called the Tennessee Titans who stop everybody against the run. And there's going to be teams in the playoffs once you face these good teams, once you get over a schedule that, again, as Antonio alluded to, a regular season schedule that includes two games against the Steelers, uh, the terrible Broncos, the terrible Jaguars, Baker Mayfield and the Panthers, which we'll get to, uh, and the Falcons, once you hit the playoff time, God willing, that they're in there, you're going to have to go up against better teams that are more well-coached and have more talent and know how to stop a what kind of looks like a one-faceted offense. And that facet is great, but you know the team went 14-2 and two with that, that offense and then ended up losing in the divisional round. So a trepidatious B minus that hopefully they can improve on. But if this is the high point, this team isn't going anywhere. Yeah. We talked in the off season about the excitement and optimism of getting all these injured players back. And a lot of them were on the offensive side of the ball. And I think we were, maybe I will say I was a little naive to the fact that in football, you don't just get the players back and then you play week one and everything is exactly as it was before the the chemistry is there and the uh, lack of mistakes is that you know the the footwork is exactly as it was before and there's no learning curve and you don't have to gel again and there won't be any setbacks with the injuries and they're all going to start week one playing 100 percent of the snaps and then it wasn't close to that and it took <laughs> i think it, it's still happening but at least uh you know you look at ronnie stanley taking a month and a half really, to, to play any sort of meaningful snaps, and then the issues off and on with Morgan Moses, and then Juwan James getting hurt immediately and being out for them, with Makari having a couple of injuries even along that line. The running backs we've already touched on, even with Edwards, once they both came back, they both had setbacks. So it has been sort of this constant work in progress. I'm going to give them a B as well. I think it is trending upward specifically because they have had the same five offensive linemen for the past, I don't, not a lot, two weeks, <laughs> maybe three weeks. I think they had the the full five in the Browns game. And that is going to end up being almost more important than getting both of the running backs fully healthy. Edwards is expected to play this week. His injury was, you know, relatively minor, um, even though it looked terrifying, obviously, because he was just starting to get his, his legs under him in terms of carries. I think if the line can stay healthy, this team is going to succeed and they're going to get uh, sort of smoother and smoother operationally uh, as they go into the second half. So I'm going to give them a B for now on the strength of the running game, the occasional big play, and Lamar Jackson still making guys look bad uh, in the pocket when getting out of the pocket, when avoiding sacks, turning negative plays into positive plays. Uh, you know, the optimist of the show would want to give a B plus, but there've just been I have too many painful memories of Lamar missing open receivers, and that was what ticks it down from a B plus to a B for me. Looking defensively, Jace, 
another situation, surprise, another situation where there were a lot of injuries, uh, some holes on the roster, but then maybe some adjustments and certainly a strong mid-season uh, acquisition, but we're grading them on their performance for the first half. So what would you say defensively? Yeah, for the, on the whole, the, the kind of grade I settled on was a C plus, And I think similar to Tim, I think it's a lot of optimism from what we saw in the Saints game. I think for me, additionally, it's just a lot of, you know, I feel kind of silly saying a C plus is optimistic, I guess. But, you know, not having immediately watched the Ravens, I think, a week removed from their last game, I'm feeling a lot higher than I probably would be <laughs> on a normal uh, show. But, uh yeah, I mean, I still think the defense has to hold some responsibility for the record. The early season collapses. I mean, the, the one against the Dolphins, most egregiously, was on them. Um, just not being able to get the stops when you need to. Because, like, this is a, a great team. They're 6-3, and three, right? But the record should be better than that. And uh, I think the defense early in the season is to blame for that a lot. For reasons you know we've discussed on the show but i do more think, so than the offense more so than the offense i think so well so for me i think tim it's just part of it is just as you know longtime ravens fans just the expectations i have for the defense and what i want the ravens defense to be i i fully um uh you know know that that at least goes into part of my evaluation here because like I think I just see the Ravens are fourth in points on offense and I say, oh, wow, the Ravens have a great offense because, you know, they've only probably finished top ten in points like six times in the franchise history. <laughs> so I, I still, I think, just expect so much more of the defense. That's why I, I, I settle on, on kind of blaming them more. But I will say why I got to C plus is I do think they've improved a lot. You know, at one point they were 32nd in the NFL in defense uh, in the wake of that Dolphins game and, you know, the, the following game, I believe, too, against the Bills. Um, but they've climbed out of that hole, uh, the huge hole they dug themselves in. They're now 19th in yards against and 17th in points. Uh, still 28th versus the pass, but they were 32nd a while back, so they're making small, small gains there. And they're third against the run. They've really improved their run defense as the year has gone on. And... You know, I think they're improving, so that's why I think they get the C+. They'll get Marcus Williams back, who I was really impressed with. I thought when he got hurt, what was disappointing was I thought he was maybe their best player uh, on either side of the ball when Marcus Williams got injured. Um, so he, he was playing really well, and then obviously with the addition of Roquan Smith, he should fully be getting up to speed uh, here, hopefully in the bye week and in the weeks to come. So I'm optimistic going forward and I'm coming off that Saints game. So that's why I think I settled on on a C plus. It hasn't been perfect, but I do think they've been improving and that matters because, you know, you want to be playing your best football later in the season. Um, you can call me biased and you can call me maybe defending them a little bit too much. And I'm, I'm more than willing to accept that. Uh, I think the Dolphins loss is the only one that's on the defense at all. Um, I think the Bills lot, the offense completely failing to execute in both the Bills loss and the Giants loss set the defense up for some bad, um, bad moments. And I really don't fault them for that at all. I'm giving I'm giving the defense a B plus and I am cheating a little bit uh, on Antonio's uh, rubric here or criteria where he said purely looking back. It's a solid B plus for me because the, you can see the potential. The, the performances that we have seen show the potential of this defense, and I only think it's going to elevate. You know, Marcus Williams, you mentioned, 
Um, my girlfriend is looking for a Ravens jersey, doesn't know who, who she wants to get yet, and Marcus Williams is top of her list right now. And that is – I didn't say anything. That, that came out of her mouth, and I was like, great idea. Let's get the 32 because he's awesome. I agree with Jace. On a big deal, so you know he's going to be – you know he'll be around for a few years. And yeah. that that as well, the five-year deal, which is always nice. Um, Roquan Smith – just go back and listen to last week's episode again, and I could just repeat my thoughts. Um, that guy is going to – that guy could potentially change the season drastically for the Baltimore Ravens. If they go on and win a Super Bowl, a lot of it comes down to that Roquan Smith acquisition, I think, um, because of just how important he is that defense. Uh, Mike McDonald is getting his, his – he's kind of getting a grasp of things. He looked like, you know, in that Dolphins game – like a fifth grader who was lost in the mall because his mom like went to Annie Ann's and he didn't know. Uh, now he looks like a competent defensive coordinator. They, they're getting some guys back. A Jabo is coming. Jason Pierre Paul has been good. Justin, Justin Matabike, Calais Campbell. We've talked about the front, the front four um, or three or whatever, the defensive lineman for a long time. Now, if Tyus Bowser made an impact already, they're getting after the quarterback without rushing 12 guys like that's something that just you don't see very often uh you, you haven't seen very often from this ravens team uh under the wink martindale regime i think that this is the unit that takes them to a super bowl if they get there uh and i see in in the same way that i almost worry about the offense you know kind of maybe leaning into the run game a little bit too much against weaker opponents and then you get to crunch time and you're like oh god you know we're fa- we're facing the Bills and the Chiefs now. Like this is this is not working. Um, I think the defense will feast on the likes of Baker Mayfield again. I'm so happy they're starting him. We'll get to that later. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, a terrible Russell Wilson, Kenny Pickett twice, Deshaun Watson who hasn't played football in two years. This defense is going to feast and then ri- ride that momentum into the playoffs. And look at Patrick Mahomes, and look at Josh Allen, and look at. Ryan Tannehill and and look at Tua Tungavailoa and go. We are not scared of you, and we are going to come and we are going to be the bullies in this. It, it you know Josh Allen, you flounder in close games. We do not. We are here to beat your butt up for sixty minutes. And I think this defensive unit, um, you know, I'm going solid B plus based on what we've seen and the potential that's there. And by the end of the season, if all things play out right, uh, and this is I know I'm being probably a little bit too optimistic, but if everything plays out right. That unit is the A++ unit that lifts the Lombardi for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, it's a good way. It's a good way to look at it. If I do the Tim's version of it, I would probably grade it even higher of like what this defense has looked like lately and how they're rounding into form and what they could do. I'd probably do like an A a minus, I guess. Um, but giving the grade on the game, the previous games themselves, I I go back and forth. I mean, I'm looking through the point totals the last six weeks. 23 against the Bills with a bunch of with a couple of turnovers I should say 17 points allowed against the Bengals in a win 24 against New York with a couple of short fields 20 against Cleveland 22 against Tampa with a late you know late touchdown when the game was pretty comfortable 13 points against New Orleans like it it looks good that's sort of an ideal situation you if your defense is giving up 20 points a game you're probably winning most football games especially with our offense and the talent and the style that we play and then I just have so many moments that I look back at where the defense just fully collapsed at the most important moments and gave up these horrendous drives. Or in the Saints game, the complete lack of 
concentration on a on a simple play where multiple players for I want to say for different reasons just stopped trying completely uh and and the 10 point the 10 point leads that were given up a bunch of times then I go through the individuals on the team who have disappointed defensively Adafi Owe supposed to make the leap he's regressed I would say mm. um Marlon Humphrey, we've talked about, has been off and on. I think he's looked better in the last month, but he's had some stretches that haven't been great. Marks Peters has a great play and then commits three penalties in a row. Uh, so that's kind of been that experience there. Jalen Armour Davis was supposed to be maybe an interesting middle-round starter and essentially is, like, benched and gone a month into the season. There's been some disappointments there. I'm, I'm going to give it a B-. minus. I'm actually a, a bit lower on it. Um... But seeing the last few weeks and how they've rounded into form, how they've put some pieces together, how uh, Kyle Hamilton has improved. That was another name that in the first month and a half I would have said was, I, I did say, <laughs> was was a little bit frightening. But he's picked it up. I think they're putting him in the right spots also to maximize his talents and hide some of his liabilities. Um, and then they've just made the right move. Jason Pierre-Paul is a small move that was at the right time, and he's... I think exceeded any expectations that they had for that type of player at this point in his career, getting Roquan, obviously. So it's a B-minus for actual performance, but I would bump up to an A-minus for what that what that defense looks like now and how I feel about it going into the second half of the season. And then lastly, uh, coaching. A, a grade for how the coaching, and maybe you can throw intangibles in here if you want, special teams, whatever you want to have, but that sort of final piece to to a team and, and how the Ravens have done with that. So this is probably the hardest <laughs> category to give a grade to because some weeks you asked me, it would have been a solid F. And other weeks, it would have been an A+. plus. So I ultimately landed on a B- minus because I think the improvement has been there throughout the season on both sides of the ball, which is kind of what you want. Certainly Mike McDonald's unit, as we've kind of just talked about, has been getting better. I think he's been doing a, a better and better job. Uh, and I think Greg Roman, too. You know, he gets a lot of uh, guff, I guess, on this podcast. And certainly we've criticized him on and off for years at this point. But... I, I think with, like, some of the injury problems uh, that they've had, I think they, they've generally done a pretty good job responding to them this year and maybe ways they didn't quite do as well in, like, in the past. And even issues that annoyed me, certainly week one, I think we remember all the the clock issues, the late-breaking huddles, they actually have largely improved that. That's been until they had that freak-out sequence last week, basically. Been kind of a minor a minor issue uh, that they were kind of, you know, able to correct. So, I don't... B-minus might be a cop-out, because I've certainly been frustrated, and we've had conversations about how, this season, how it might be time to make a major change. But I think if we just look at where the Ravens are record-wise with what they've been dealing with with the injuries. They're 6-3. and three. You know, they're in first place in the AFC North. John Harbaugh is a good coach. <laughs> I think pretty uh, indisputably. And it hasn't been perfect, but I think a lot of teams um, would exchange coaching staffs. And I'm glad you, Nintendo, you mentioned, like, special teams. It's like the attention to special teams is, like, a thing that not many teams do. And it really matters. Like, the Packers have had an awful special teams unit 
for, for years, and it lost them a playoff game last year, and it's been just as bad this year. Like, the Ravens care about this stuff, and it wins them games against the Bengals. You know, you get a Justin Tucker game-winning field goal as time expires. So, you know, it hasn't been perfect. I think most of the blame for these blown leads have to fall on the coaching staff. The record should be better than 6-3, and three, but also, with the injuries they've been dealing with, it could be worse. So, I don't know. I've talked myself in circles, but I, I, I settled on B-minus kind of as a cop-out because it's too, it's kind of hard just to argue with 6-3 and three first place in your division at this time of the year. Oh, man. C-minus. I think <laughs> I think just – I think we were justified in questioning John Harbaugh's future with the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm not – I don't think we were calling for his head, but I think we were answer, asking a question that – a lot of people just go, oh, shut up. He's a really good coach. And and you're right. He's a really good coach. And grass isn't always greener. And if we lost him, we'd probably get someone worse, even though we've hired two pretty good ones back-to-back. So I don't know why people just immediately jump on that grenade. I The, the, the losses were inexcusable. And just absolutely ridiculous and undisciplined. And you know where that comes from? The head coach. And granted, they have turned it around, and credit to Harbaugh, and he was never going anywhere midseason. That's not what we were saying. But I can't get the stench and the stink and the the fact that this is like the highlight, one of the highlights, I wouldn't say the highlight, but one of the highlights of my work week is coming on to talk to you guys about the Ravens, and I disdained it for the first part of the season because of just how bad the coaching was. Um, I can't get that out of my head and try and give them anything higher than you know a C. I reference McDonald. Now he's figured it out, and I know I'm switching back to the rubric of looking back and not trying to grade the potential of looking forward here, but some of those, just the dumb looks that they would go to the sidelines, and McDonald looked like he was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is too big for me, was egregious, and you hired that guy. And, and, and look, they figured it out, and God willing, they keep it going and they keep improving. And then the Greg Roman stuff, too, of just – I mean, we referenced it here before where he's just throwing a dart at a wall <laughs> and sometimes it hits pass. Sometimes it hits run. Sometimes it hits panic. And we don't know what's coming next. It didn't seem to be a plan. Hopefully a lot of this has been resolved or we get into this Carolina game and all of a sudden the offense is like sputtering and we're like, what the hell is going on? This is the Carolina Panthers. Just do what you do best. And they try and get cute or something. C minus for me because over everything, over everything, offensive, defensive, special teams, what have you, over everything, the reason this team isn't 9-0 and is coaching for me. Um, and look, I, Jace is right, 6-3, and three, you shouldn't have a lot to complain about, but I think there's been some problems that hopefully have been righted, but those problems are still there. I was just thinking of that first half against the Buccaneers, and you're, you're right, Tim, that, that was... That was coaching malpractice. I might have to readjust oh, to C plus just on that game alone. <laughs> oh, it was just the grand plan, guys. They they knew it the whole time. It was it was reverse rope a dope. Don't even question it. They were doing the reverse soften of a defense that's never once been attempted for that purpose. Yeah, I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give a C plus. I'm kind of falling in between what you guys are saying. I, I you know this is a self uh, self-promotional call out here, but everybody remembers when I tracked all 20 mistakes that the Ravens made against the Giants that 
at a certain point they're not it doesn't fall on the players when it's that many mistakes as a collective that's the whole purpose of a coaching staff uh is to not have these mistakes so that that that's a sour that's a sour taste the uh miscommunicating how to handle the end of the bills game with odafe owe leaves a bad taste um 10 of 11 defensive players knew to let the, I think it was Singletary, let him score so that the Ravens could get the ball back, except for O.A., and then they changed that narrative into, well, actually, he was trying to get the ball out. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, that I don't really believe that. But So that's been the bad. <laughs> Mistakes, <laughs> lack of communication. The Miami game, miscommunicating. Yes, they're young players. Either don't have them in there, or have worked out the communication with these rookies so that they don't give up, you know, the only thing that they couldn't give up, which was big plays in rapid succession. <laughs> so that's been the bad. The special team stuff, Jace, I think is maybe the biggest positive. The more football I watch, which has gone up over the years, the more I see other teams essentially just be atrocious with special teams on both sides, both in like receiving the ball on special teams and getting rid of the ball on special teams between penalties, fumbles, kicks going out of bounds. First of all, kickers missing, makeable field goals, the the lack of concentration on extra points and things like that. Um, Some of that is a positive for the coaching staff as well. Uh, Harbaugh, that's his bread and butter. Um, He essentially waits for a return man to fumble a football and their Ravens NFL career is over for the most part. So the Ravens do that a lot better than most other teams. It's in the coaching staff's DNA. So that gives them a little bump and I'm going to stop at C plus. I think that's my final, (laughs) my final grade for the coaching staff and uh, yeah, opportunities for them to improve on that grade in the second half of this season. All right. One award to give out and it's MVP for the Ravens first half MVP it can be who you like uh I've gone last for these grades so I'm gonna go first for MVP and then turn to the two of you um and I'm going first kind of intentionally here because it's easy I would say not to call out Jace here at all it's easy to pick the quarterback of of a team when the MVP has to go to a player on the team um, when they touch the ball every time on offense, and it's Lamar Jackson. So I'm kind of, you know, statistically, yes, he's produced the most for this team. He's the best player on this team, and he's the game-breaking talent. But I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to go defensively, and I'm going to go with Justin Houston. He has played six out of nine games. He has eight and a half sacks, which leads the team. It's in the top five in the National Football League. He is being used in the best way possible given his age and veteran status in the league and he has gotten 150% out of the snaps and position that he has been put in. Justin Houston, you're going to play fewer snaps, you're going to play mostly in pass rush situations. We need you to get sacks because we're th- the thinnest at that position. And he said sure, great and has eight and a half sacks in 6 games, which by the way is most on the team, I have this up in front of me, is most on the team by five sacks. (laughs) There are a couple of Raven defensive tackles at three and a half sacks, and this is another reason that he is my MVP, is that this was supposed to be a different player. This was supposed to be your second round, I'm sorry, your second year first round draft pick who has 
been absent. And I am going to, you want you to a little mini what's bothering Antonio. If I see another tweet about how Dafe Owe gets held a lot, and that's why he's not getting sacks, oh, I'm going to lose my mind. Every player, every defensive lineman or edge rusher, whatever, in the National Football League gets held a lot. Happens pretty much on every play. One of the four defensive linemen, one of the three linemen, whatever, uh, rushers, is getting held by an offensive lineman. And it's whether or not they call it. Beat that. Be better than that. You're a physical freak first-round draft pick. Like, you know you know who they hold? Watt. J.J. Watt gets held a lot and still makes plays. So I'm just not hearing that. Justin Houston has taken that spot because if he was not on this team, he was signed in the offseason to a one-year deal. Imagine what the pass rush would have been in the first half of this season with what we've seen from Owe. It would have been a disaster. And instead, Houston has been a guy, a legitimate stud pass rusher in limited snaps, limited games. Uh, The QB hits are are there as well. I think he's going to put in a strong second half of this season. Um, And that's my MVP. Uh, uh, When we previewed this season, looking at, you know, wide receivers was going to be an issue. And then outside linebacker was going to be an issue. He has been a solution a big solution there at a one-year cheap deal um, and has essentially saved the day at that position group. I'll just jump in here because Justin Houston was my answer as well. Um, I think that it is – remember when we were betting over-unders for Justin Houston because we were (laughs) complaining that they literally did nothing but bring him back basically and drafted an injured rookie and then Adafi always just supposed to be the guy? I think we set the over under at like five and we were all were kind of like, eh, I don't know. He has eight and a half and we're at week 10. Um, and Antonio nailed it. He's been doing, he's been doing it in limited amount of time. And he's taken that role. He's clearly based on all the stuff you see on social media and what have you, a great influence on these guys too. staying a good leader on this defensive unit, staying after practice to help with the likes of Ajabo and help with the likes of Odafe Owe, which hasn't really translated, um, and helps with all you know, helps with these guys to help them teach their craft from from a savvy veteran. So I'll, I'll just expand it out a little bit, and I'm going to go with the pass rush just in general. I think the pass rush for this team, based on what we've seen, based on the former coordinator that we had, and no shade against Wink Martindale, he's doing I loved him, and he's doing great stuff up with New York, and good for him. The fact that they have been able to not have to bring the house every time and still create significant pressure in big moments. Looking at you, Matt Judon. I know you lead the league, but like, get get them in games that matter, and then and then talk to me. The fact that they've been able to do that and and get off the field with with creating pressure and brilliant. I think about the Marlon Humphrey sack, where I think it was the Tampa game, I believe. I can't remember one of the games recently. They're all just World Cup is coming, guys. My mind is completely frayed. It was on a third down while the team was driving. They dialed up the pressure at the perfect time. They dropped their two defensive tackles in Matabike and Calais Campbell, confused the offensive line. It was the same. It was the Saints game. It was the Saints game because it was Cesar Ruiz as the center. And Marlon Humphrey comes off the edge and generates the sack. And it's it's dialing up it that in the perfect moments that helps win games for this football team. I'll just read this out. You know, so it's eight and a half for Justin Houston. Matabike has three and a half, Campbell three and a half, Patrick Queen three and a half as well. And credit to Mike McDonald for using Patrick Queen 
for what he is, a piss missile, and saying, you know what, run right up the middle, and this is how you're going to get sacks. Here are all the Ravens through the first half of the season that already have registered sacks. Houston, Matabike, Campbell, Queen, Brandon Copeland, sure. Adafi <laughs> Owe, Josh Bynes, Jason Pierre-Paul, Kyle Hamilton, Travis Jones, Marcus Peters, and Marlon Humphrey. They are finding new ways to create pressure rather than just bringing everybody because they don't have this super elite guy, and it's working. So Houston is my MVP, but a, but a shout-out to a wider unit as well in that pass rush. And, again, Mahomes, Allen, you know what you need to do? Generate pressure without sending everybody. And the Ravens are showing that they can do that, but they can also, you know, maybe send four, but it's not the four you think. It's two corners and a, and a linebacker coming from here and a defensive tackle coming from here. It's not just the four guys that are down or, or your two defensive ends, what have you. And it's, it's gotten really creative, and, and I've been really impressed with the way they've been able to get after the quarterback. So pass rush as a whole with a special nod to Justin Houston. Houston uh, currently tied for fourth in the NFL in sacks with his eight and a half. And the Ravens as a whole uh, are tenth in sacks, which, you know, I feel like hasn't uh, been the case. I, I admit I feel like I must feel some envy watching our AFC North rivals with guys like uh, Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, just these yeah. absolute stud defensive ends. But you guys are right. Uh, you know, they're getting the pressure this year in a way they haven't in, in, in a few years. So that that's encouraging to see. Um, for me, I mean, the MVP is obvious. I did want to shout out one guy, uh, Ronnie Stanley, since he actually finally died. The, the path to Ronnie Stanley's <laughs> return was frustrating and filled with uh, fits and starts and stops and all kinds of uh, you know, delays. But once he got once he got in, I, you know, we've talked about how they've been leaning on the run, and we think, like, the line's really improved. That's coincided with Stanley being the left tackle. And it, it's a kind of thing, when he was out, like, you just missed. It's like, he comes back, and you're like, oh, yeah, th- like, he's so much clearly better than anyone who has banned that left tackle spot since he got hurt in October 2020, like, or November 2020, I think. Uh, he He's just very talented. He's a very good player. Um, I don't know if he's playing at a Pro Bowl level, but he's he's playing very well, and the line has coalesced with his return. Just having one guy consistently that doesn't get beat a ton hold down that left tackle spot is really encouraging, so it's been great to have him back. Uh, I like him as a player a lot. He's one of, you know, he's a quiet guy. It's hard to say he's your favorite player on the team, but he's a really, really good player, and it's... The Ravens are better with him on the field, as we saw uh, the last few years. But the MVP is Lamar Jackson, uh, the literal MVP in 2019. Uh, you know, he was brilliant to start the year. He cooled off a bit. We discussed at length last week our frustrations with his inconsistent uh, passing on the easy stuff occasionally and how that will always kind of hold him back to some degree if he, unless he gets that ironed out. But he's also bailed out this team a ton. He, the, the, the Cincinnati win was entirely on him uh, to pull out that final drive, basically, almost exclusively with his legs, which he, he you know, I know the numbers are going to be overshadowed this year by Justin Fields because um, of what uh, Fields is doing. But Lamar is still incredible. He's 12th in the NFL in rushing, and that will go up uh, presumably after Sunday's games. Um, but he's once again first in yards per carry, 7.4 yards per carry. Um on the year he, he just what he does running the ball is incredible and it you know you'd like more consistency but he's already got 16 touchdowns which matches what he did last year in three less games which 
you know, 16 TDs, it doesn't sound like a ton. It's seventh in the NFL. Uh, he's fifth in QBR, thanks in large part to how good he is running the ball. But he's also ninth in quarterback rating. And, uh, you know, he is, his, his mobileness, his running ability um, has saved the line. He's been sacked 20 times, but his, his, his sack yards lost are the second fewest in the NFL for anyone who's started nine games behind Justin Herbert. So his escapability is so important for this team. And I just think, I think more than ever, uh, the entire offense <laughs> is pretty much on his shoulders on a week to week basis. Certainly, uh, when Gus and, um, uh, JK aren't in there, Gus especially, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think like this team would be lost without Lamar Jackson. He's 43 and 15 as the Ravens starter. When Lamar Jackson plays, the Ravens win. They're 6-3. and three. Uh, It's not always pretty. The numbers aren't great. His completion percentage is actually the lowest it's been since his rookie year. Uh, but it's still, you know, 62-63%. But, um, yeah, it's just Lamar's, <laughs> Lamar's the MVP. He's their most important player. They don't win. They're, this is probably like a two-win, three-win team if he doesn't play this year. They're probably three and six right now if Lamar's hurt. Uh, and, yeah, I... Uh, it's dumb. Uh, it's simple, though, and I hope they work out the contract extension oh, sooner God. than later. You had to. You, just, you had to. Okay. Uh, all right, last thing to do here is just quickly, uh, before we sort of turn away to the random raven, sort of reassessing the win total expectation. The line to start the year for this team was 10.5. I think both my co-hosts picked 10 and I either said 11 or 12. I don't. I may have said 12. I may have said 11. I don't remember. Um, obviously, the second half of the schedule, softer than the first half. But this is the NFL, where every game is harder than you think it should be, regardless of opponent. So what are your guys' uh, sort of revised win total expectations? Have they changed? Are they the same for the team by the end of the season, now that we've seen one half? Um, I'm going higher. Certainly, I, I believe I had 10-7 and seven in second place in the AFC North. I do think the Ravens win the AFC North, and I think they'll go 12-5. and five. I think they'll finish with 12 wins. They should beat the Panthers, which we'll talk about. They should beat the Jaguars. They should beat the Broncos at home. Um, I'd like to think they'll sweep both of the Steelers, but we'll see. That's TBD. So, they'll, I, they'll beat the Falcons at home, I'm fairly, I hope, but... I definitely see them losing two of their three AFC North road games, uh, whether that be to the Steelers, the Bengals at the end of the year, uh, or the Browns. One of those games, that will be the Browns with Deshaun Watson. They will lose two of those three games. They're the three remaining AFC North road games. Uh, but, I, you know, that still, I think, puts you – they should win the rest, so I think they go 12-5. and five. I'm around the same. Uh, where I was at before, and I think I think a lot of that is because, you know, I think they're making the playoffs. I think they're most likely winning the AFC North, which is which are two things that you know we shouldn't we shouldn't discount by any stretch of the imagination. But last week on the on the podcast, I said I'm so glad the buy is coming now because it's not going to be a week of look at the Ravens, look at the Ravens, look at the Ravens. Well, you know what it's turned into. I listen to a lot of sports and NFL podcasts. There's a whole hell of a lot of look at the Ravens, look at the Ravens, look at the Ravens. You know what that means? The Ravens are going to screw it up. 
They're going to, guys. This happens. Let's look at this schedule. Baker Mayfield and the Panthers might lose to them. Marcus Mariota comes in and has one game, the game of his life. Maybe we lose to them. Deshaun Watson comes in and Cleveland gets retribution as he throws four touchdowns to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Might lose to them. Kenny Pickett might just figure it out against the Ravens because guess what? I'm pretty sure, has Lamar ever beaten the Steelers? I'm pretty sure he still hasn't beaten the Steelers. Uh, maybe one time, one time. In, in 2019, maybe one Thank maybe. you. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. The 14-2 and two year, duh. Yeah, the stat man here helping me out with that one. They, they, they did beat the Steelers. Maybe we just lose both to them. It's almost, and I'm just, I'm a damaged, damaged man when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens. So maybe I just think that, you know, it can't be this good. Something's going to go wrong here. Uh, and so because of that, I'm staying the same because they're at six and three. I still think they'll finish, what, 11 and six, 10 and seven. They're going to make the playoffs. Um, they're probably going to win the AFC North. But. You know, I don't think this team is going into the playoffs like, holy crap, the Ravens are the team to beat. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit at eleven and six. Uh, I think three wins still happen. Annoyingly enough, in the second half, I and this could be a situation where they are eleven and let me do the math right on this eleven and five entering that Cincinnati game. It's irrelevant to them and so they only play their starters and they lose the they lose the Cincinnati game and that ends up being the sixth loss. Sixth loss. Uh yeah, the Pittsburgh stuff is going to be annoying. I will inevitably end up picking the Ravens in both of those Steelers games, but the the road one is going to be frustrating. I I'm like afraid of the Jacksonville game on the road. I don't know. Whenever the Ravens travel to Florida, I get I get nervous for various reasons. And uh and there will be, and then the Cleveland game are probably the three that I'm most concerned with. So I'm going to put them at 11 and six, uh, and try to be, you know, politely surprised when they go slightly better than that. All right, that's it for the first half. We're through the bye. We're on. We're on to Carolina. We're on to Carolina. But first, <laughs> let's go through the random Raven. Tim is up this week. So Tim, who do you have for us? All right, here we go. Clue number one. This Dunbar High School product was drafted in the second round of the 2001 NFL Draft. And for those of you that might not be local uh, to the Baltimore region, Dunbar is a famous high school in Baltimore City. Um, I'm going to read out this stat, and I apologize. This makes clue number one a bit longer, but this is off the Wikipedia page, and you have to hear this. Listen to the high school career of this random Raven. Quote, He was USA Today's Player of the Year in Maryland after recording 208 tackles, 136 solo, 16 sacks, and 8 interceptions as a senior. He also caught 34 passes for 567 yards and 3 touchdowns. He led his team to -to back-to-back state championships as a junior and senior and was named the Baltimore Area Defensive Player of the Year after both of those campaigns. He was also regarded as one of the country's top 60 basketball prospects and led the Poets to four straight titles, averaging 20.4 points, 10.7 rebounds, and 8.1 assists per game as a senior, which is insane. I know it probably doesn't help you, but I just wanted to – 208 tackles. I know it's high school. 16 sacks and eight interceptions in one season. Incredible. All right. I feel like that's just making a tackle on every play. Like that. There's, Pretty much. there's only so many plays in a high school yeah, season. It's, it's just that guy every time. Uh, clue number two. After after that stunning high school career, this player went to play on uh, went on to play at Florida State. 
He ended his collegiate career with 289 tackles. So, again, he almost did that in one season. 289 tackles and was a semifinalist for the Butkus Award, a third-team football news All-American, and a first-team All-ACC selection. He also led the Seminoles to the national championship game where they ultimately lost to the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, Clue number three, before his lone season with the Ravens in 2005, he spent four seasons with the St. Louis Rams. Clue number four, in that one season in Baltimore, he started 15 of 16 regular season games and finished with 97 tackles, four sacks, and three pass deflections. And clue number five, and I teased this the last time I did a random Raven, and maybe you don't remember, this player wore the same number as my last random Raven, Albert McClellan, Brad Jackson, and Antoine Barnes. Huh. Okay. All right. I don't have much else, guys. So I can, I can try and dig up some clues, but everybody seems flummoxed. Yeah, I mean, I should know. Like, it clearly sounds like one of Florida State's like best players. <laughs> he was on the Wikipedia page, yeah. Defensive captain and leader yeah. and all that stuff. He would have been well. on their 99 title team as well. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll let the rest of the episode be... Jace running oh. through the entire roster of a of a nineties college football team, which I don't doubt he would be able to get through a lot of names. That was the Peter Warwick Florida State team. <laughs> That's the famous one. Uh, all right, let's turn now to another game that we play on the show called Harbaugh Quotes. <laughs> did he or did he not say these quotes? Harbaugh quotes. Uh, I'm gonna read off a couple of quotes. Two of them John Harbaugh did in fact say, and one of them he did not say, and was it was instead created by yours truly. Uh, not a lot of words out of Baltimore this week with the bye week, so I will admit one of these is from the week before, let's say. Or were there a lot of words out of Baltimore this week, and I made up the one from <laughs> a week before. Could be any of them. Could be any of them. All right. So the first quote, John John Harbaugh on David Ojabo's potential to play his first game Monday night against the New Orleans Saints, which he obviously did not end up playing. David's a little different. We'll see where he's at with it in terms of being ready. He's a rookie, but he would also be a possible as far as playing the game Monday night. End quote. The ra- <laughs> when asked about the Ravens' prospects during the second half uh, run for this team and winning football games. Well, we're at six and three, so it guarantees us six wins. I know that. <laughs> I learned that last year. Let's just worry about the next game. End quote. Uh, and then the third quote, also on how he views the team's performance uh, in the first half of the season going into the after the bye week. We have what I think is a great football team that hasn't been great yet. I think we've had stretches where we've been great, but not that consistency that you need. So I think this week has helped us figure out some things and get some guys back so that we can get to that point where we're playing consistent, great football. And, (laughs) quote, and that was real to me. (laughs) Those are the three Harbaugh quotes. Which one do you guys believe is false and which two did john actually say oh jace i'm leaning on you here man 
I, three seems like right up uh, a Harbaugh classic. Um, so I'm debating between one and two. Give me, give me one and two again, Antonio, if you don't mind. Uh, on David Ojabo playing the Monday night game. David's a little different. We'll see where he's at with it in terms of being ready. He's a rookie, but he would also be a possible as far as playing the game Monday night. Uh, and then the Ravens prospects during the second half uh, and winning winning you know with an easy schedule. Well, we're at six and three, so it guarantees us six wins. I know that. I learned that last year. Let's just worry about the next game. I think I think that one's fake. Okay, I, I, think, I couldn't I think, decide between the two, but I, 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 like I think it. that's Antonio doing his best John Harbaugh, and a stellar John Harbaugh at that, as we've learned on Harbaugh quotes. Uh, but I'm going to go with number two being fake. I'll join Tim on that. All right, quote number one. David's a little different. We'll see where he's at with it David's in terms of being different. ready. He's a rookie, but he would also be a possible as far as playing the game Monday night. John Harbaugh, he did say that creating a new injury label separate from probable a possible yeah, he, i guess that's between probable and questionable <laughs> is a possible uh he did say that ojabo did not play we hope to see him uh, after the bye <laughs> against the panthers uh let's see quote number two well we're six and three so it guarantees us six wins i know that i learned that last year let's just worry about the next game that is a true Harbaugh quote. Oh, he no. did say that. The th- he got me. <laughs> Let's just worry about the next game seemed too on the nose for Harbaugh. And also the fact that we've won six games means that it's guaranteed us six wins. Uh, I love that. Quote number three, the fake quote. We have what I think is a great football team that hasn't been great yet. I think we've had stretches where we've been great, but not that <laughs> consistency that you need. So I think yeah. this week has helped us figure out some things and get some guys back so that we can get to that point where we're playing consistent, great football. It's true, but he didn't say it. Oh my <laughs> so. God. I thought it was, it sounded so good. I was like, sure. I was like, that one seems the most real to me. <laughs> yeah. That had a little of the, uh, the Harbaugh uh, rambling-ness to it, it was, as well. It was the yeah. consistent, great football at the end. That's what I was like, ah, he definitely said that. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, that was this week's edition uh, of Harbaugh Quotes. Always fun to play because Harbaugh always provides some gold week in, week out. Next up is the NFL segment. We're going to absolutely cover the saddest team segment, but also just cover whatever games we liked and watched. There was a doozy of a game that I think my co-hosts are going to want to talk about at least a little bit uh, between the Vikings and the Bills. Um so I'm going to go first here because I'm not talking Vikings bills and there are probably some better candidates than what I'm going to talk about for the saddest teams, but I'm going with the Denver Broncos. Um, they lost again. They scored 10 points to the Tennessee Titans. Maybe not the worst thing. Tennessee's D is good. You know, they played well against the chiefs as well in Kansas city, but it's still 10 points and they're lost to the Titans currently three and six. The playoffs are all but gone for them. Uh, and even though they were probably, you know, sadder earlier in the season when the Wilson stuff was still shockingly bad and nobody could understand how their offense was so putrid, 
we're now in the, you know, we're nine weeks, we're nine games in here, so we are now in the this is what we are phase of the season. That yeah, that girlfriend of yours, that boyfriend, they are not changing their personality at this point. This is just who they are. You're going to have to deal with it for an entire second half of the season. Um, and they're going to be fortunate if they win seven games. And they have a quarterback whose spiraling abilities are happening simultaneously to while he is still finishing the last years of his Seattle contract before beginning his $245 million five-year extension that Denver gave him that will take him into 2028. Do I think we make it to 2028 with Russell Wilson? No. But they're going to have to keep him for at least a couple of years because of how that contract is structured. What makes this even sadder is that to this point, Denver's defense is giving up 16.6 points per game, which is first in the NFL, except for one team. Uh, there is one team giving up fewer points against, and that is the collection of Denver's opposing defenses. <laughs> because the Broncos are only scoring 14.6 points per game, a full two points lower than the lowest scoring defense in the National Football League. The Broncos all have also still have two games to go against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's it's bad, it's ugly, it's going to continue to be this bad for this season, maybe even get worse with those two Chiefs games. It is happening in a season that their defense is amazing, basically, and yet they have no wins to show for it because Russell Wilson can essentially no longer throw the ball 20 yards downfield with strength and accuracy and we haven't even gotten to the five-year deal that he has with the denver broncos this is bad and i love it because they were in theory going to be a contending team that the ravens are going to have to deal with in the afc another one of the great quarterbacks you know in the afc that is no longer the case but the denver broncos the saddest team in the nfl the, the wilson's parts especially shocking like you you just laid it out. You don't often see a team with the number one defense and points against and the number one offense or the number thirty second offense and points for. Uh, like even the darkest days of the Ravens, I don't think they ever pulled that <laughs> pulled that double off. Uh, the offense at least managed to get to like twenty fifth most years, like <laughs> just by by virtue of having a defense that good. Like you're just you should have the ball in like decent positions <laughs> a good bit, a fair amount. And and like I didn't think russell wilson was like great last year but like now i i feel like i'm rethinking everything i thought about pete carroll like i always enjoy like i always like pete carroll as a coach but it was like is pete carroll like the greatest coach in the nfl to get russell wilson to play at a hall of fame level for 10 years and then he immediately turns into a pumpkin like it just it seems improbable and i just don't get it i do not think nathaniel hackett is long for this job uh because of the fact that they are committed to russell wilson so hard um this we play the Broncos in a few weeks. It's going to be ugly. That mm -hmm. game's going to be a hard watch. I think it's going to be, I, I think the winner of that game scores around 18 points. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, for the saddest team of the week, um, I'm actually sticking with the team that still manages to come behind the Broncos in their division, the AFC West as the Las Vegas Raiders, who at two and seven are actually the second worst team in the NFL uh, at present behind only the Houston Texans who are hurtling towards that number one overall pick. Um, yeah. So why are the Raiders the saddest team? Because they lost to the team that literally just hired the coach off the ESPN set. They lost to Jeff Saturday 
And it, like, wasn't a fluke. Like, yeah, like, the Raiders had a chance to score late, but the Colts, like, the Colts, like, it was a back-and-forth game. It was a good game. And that's not where you want to be with the team that just got <laughs> its coach in the building, um, you know, that week. And there's some things to say about the Colts side, namely that they made the smart but uh, confusing decision to return to Matt Ryan after Frank Reich was basically barred by Jim Irsay from playing Matt Ryan. So hard to figure out what's going there. But still, if you're the Raiders, and you're, specifically if you're Josh McDaniels, this is not a game you could lose. Against the team you jilted, you left at the altar in 2018, told them you accepted the job to the point that the Colts announced they were hiring Josh McDaniels. They announced a press conference for it. And then he left. Uh, it's just tough. I do not see McDaniels being the coach of the Raiders beyond this season. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, you bring in Devontae Adams, you bring in Chandler Jones, who really hasn't done much of anything this year. Adams has been good, but it's just it's just not been enough. Um, yeah, it's sad. You're just two and seven. It was a team that was expected to compete, and instead you're one of the three worst teams in the NFL. That's why uh, they're my saddest team, and especially just coming against the team that everyone spent the whole week laughing at in the Indianapolis Colts, and then you lose to them in your own building. Saddest team of the week locked in for me. I mean, I, Jace, <laughs> you, you took it all, so I'm not going to redo it. The saddest team of the week is the Las Vegas Raiders, and I love taking a victory lap with the Raiders <laughs> because people talked about this team. I, I did this rant a couple weeks ago where they basically they could have guaranteed a playoff spot for the Ravens. They end up losing to Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, and the Dolphins at that time. I tweeted something out like, uh, I hope the Raiders never win a football game ever again because I was upset because the Ravens weren't very good and I needed them to get in the playoffs and they ended up doing it later. But I had people, very few, a couple people in my mentions, just Raiders fans being like F off. And you know what? I was like, you know what? I just hate the Raiders now. So I was taking, and then preseason, everybody's like, oh, Josh McDaniels, brilliant football mind. Devontae Adams with Derek Carr. Did you know that they went to Fresno State together? Did you know that? That's crazy. And everybody just assumed that this team, who couldn't stop anything, who had the worst offensive line of any of the quote-unquote competitors in the preseason, thought that they were going to contend in this difficult AFC West. Which, by the way, it's just the Chiefs again, guys. Like, we should have known this all along. Uh, and now they stink. Two and seven. Josh McDaniels. Who knew? Oh, yeah, wait. We all knew because we saw this in Denver. He's not a good head coach. He's, frankly, a terrible head coach, and yet they still hired him, paid him a bunch of money. Mark Davis still has a terrible haircut. Derek Carr, you haven't mentioned, was crying. Maybe you did, and apologies if I missed it. Was crying in the post-game press conference. Crying in the post-game press conference about how there's guys that don't want to be there, and there's, like, fits and, and fights in the locker room and stuff. The Raiders are a dumpster fire, and there's no way to improve it at the at the minute. And, you know, it's funny. I was listening to some podcasts this morning, kind of preparing for our show, and while I was knocking out some other work, and they're mentioning the Raiders' bad season should have been last season. They had the tragedy with, he you know, not for Henry Ruggs, because he's deservedly in jail for what he did, but... The, the, tr the tragedy surrounding the Henry Ruggs incident. All the John Gruden crap. Um, there, was, uh, there was some other person higher up in the organization that got in trouble as well. Then they hire Rich, or they bring, promote Rich Bisaccia. And this guy leads them to the playoffs. And to a tight game against the Bengals who represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. 
leader of men, a guy that you want to be in a foxhole with, as they said on other podcasts uh, as well. I think part of my take interviewed Booger McFarlane and said, Rich Bisaccia, top five guy you want to be in a foxhole with. That's the guy who should be leading your football team. Nope, 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 nope. We need the man who failed already when he left Bill Belichick. We need, we need that guy. Bring that guy in. And you know what? You lost to a leader of men. The Jeff Saturday hire, ridiculous. Abs- completely just asinine at the time. But then you look. He's been helping with the offensive line a little bit as well. He's been advising him in some stuff. And then you watch the clips of Saturday in his press conferences after the game. You want to play for that dude. That that just is a simple you get it type of hire with Jeff Saturday. And, and will it work? Who knows? Is it just an interim thing? I don't know. But I tell you what. Already, after one game, he's a way better head football coach than Josh McDaniels. And, yeah, plus add in everything Jace just said. Saddest team of the week, Las Vegas Raiders. Book it. Yeah, they kind of, uh, they kind of, like, karmically deserve this season because they had this great interim head coach that was exactly what the team needed at the time, and they thought they were better than that. They thought they were better than him. They thought they were better than that, and they brought in, a, a coaching cancer as opposed to trying to, even if they didn't keep Basaccia, try to get that type of coach again, and instead they got a guy who is notoriously uh, a bit of a weasel, uh, and it has not gone well. So is this the end of the Belichick coaching tree? Like, do people finally stop trying no, his to... Son, no. His son will get hired well, somewhere obnoxiously <laughs> while Bill is still there coaching because he'll be 80 years old and is still coaching. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it for... Actually, do you guys want to talk uh, about the Vikings? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I want to we... talk a little bit about the Bills and the Vikings. So if you didn't... We're not going to recap the entire game. But the Bills, who have been a dominant team now for a little bit of time, um, showed their true colors once again and very much build it. And look, this is a very hot, takey Monday topic, but I think there is a legit topic about Josh Allen in close games. Now, how hurt was he? We don't know. And uh, he had the elbow injury, and, like, there was thoughts that he wasn't going to play. I actually, to tell you guys a little bit, I was uh, down in Virginia to see the new Black Panther movie with my sister and friends as well. Uh, But she lives down in Virginia, so we all flocked to her. And I was like, ooh, FanDuel is uh, (laughs) in Virginia. I'm just going to look and see and place, like, little, you know, $5 or whatever bets and just see, have a little bit of fun. Um, went two and three, by the way, as of this recording. If the if the Eagles blow out the uh, Commanders, I'll be three and three on the week, which isn't too bad for a guy that you know, frankly, sucks at this. Um, I before the movie, so three hour movie. It's a seven out of ten. It's fine. <laughs> um, I put the bet in, and I'm like, you know what? It says Bills minus six and a half. I'm just putting five bucks on it and banking on Allen playing, and I don't believe in the Vikings. Yada yada. It's uh, excuse me. No, it was Bills minus three. Apologies. Bills minus three. I get out of the theater. I look at it again. The line had moved to six and a half. Josh Allen was announced that he was playing while I was in the movie theater. And I'm like, Woo boy, I got it at minus three. The Bills are going to beat the brakes off the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Like, get out of here. And then the Bills build. And credit to the Vikings. It's a gutsy win for them. Jace and I have a special investment in Justin Jefferson, which, <laughs> God, I love watching that guy every week. Like, my Lord, he is amazing. Um, and if I'm a Bills fan, I am concerned. One, how hurt is Josh Allen, which is, which is a thing. And two, 
this team has not proved they can win the close game. They can beat the brakes off of anybody. I love that phrase. I keep using it. They proved that they could do that in any situation. But guess what? That doesn't happen in January. So when when all the chips are on the table, when when everything when tension is at an all-time high, can this team come through and win the big one? They just proved they couldn't do it against Kirk Cousins. So I'm not feeling very good if I'm in Buffalo. Yeah, from football perspective uh, on Twitter, since the start of the 2021 season, the Bills are 16 and one in games decided by more than one score, and two and nine in one score games. It's like becoming two a two and nine. That is a trend. Uh, and it was the way they lost this game too, because Tim, they they were on the path to beating the brakes off the Bills. They were up 27 to 10 late in the third quarter, and it looked like kind of what I expected for much of the game, which was. You know, a team quarterback by Kirk Cousins kind of not really having a great performance in a big game. It was kind of everything I've come to expect from Kirk, uh, Kirk-led teams over the years. And uh, instead, they turned it on. They get an 81-yard run from Dalvin Cook. They get that later in the game, that sensational catch. But even then, I thought we were lining up for a classic Vikings moment. You know, they get that sensational catch from Jefferson. Literally one of the best I've ever seen. Fourth and 18. Just Might be the best. Might be the best catch I've ever seen. Impossible catch. And... They, and Kirk hits some money throws. They get down to the one-yard line, and they get stuffed. Fourth and goal. They get, the, the Bills defense comes through, and I say, this is so Minnesota Vikings to get that catch and then not score and lose the game. I'm like, this is like the entire history of the Vikings. And then Allen, Allen fumbles. He just straight up fumbles the ball. And to your point, maybe his elbow was bothering him. It looked like he might have even banged it on a guy. Um after he threw an inter- an, uh, for his first interception in the end zone earlier uh, in the fourth quarter when he was trying to force a ball in on fourth down, uh, he made a tackle and he kind of stayed on the ground for a little bit after that. Um, so that was bad. He had that interception in the end zone. He fumbles the ball to lose the lead. But then even then, he leads that field goal drive and you go like, okay, well, this is still very Vikings to get that miracle touchdown and now we're going to overtime because you can't stop like a 30-second drive. Um and they still don't manage to get into the end zone on three tries in overtime <laughs> right near the goal line. And it looked like the Bills were still going to pull out the win. They were driving really well. But that interception he threw in overtime, second and ten, he throws a pick just trying to force it. And he cost them even a chance at the, like, I know none of these teams want to tie. But, uh, you know, ties half a win in the NFL standings. And Allen, he threw that chance away on a second and ten force he just didn't have to make. It was just really bad decision-making. And he's thrown at least, I believe, two picks in three straight games now. Um, and it's going to hurt the Bills. Like the, I think that's why I, I thought they at least warranted merit in saddest team of the week. Because, you know, presently they're in third place in the AFC East. They've yet to win an AFC East game. And I think it's pretty clear the Chiefs are going to win the number one seed <laughs> yet again. And the playoffs are going to go through Arrowhead. So I think that was a disastrous loss for the Bills. I mean, you blow a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter, basically, or towards the end of the third. Um, that's a big lead for a team that's supposed to be as good as them to blow at home. So that was just – it was it was a sensational game. It was like – I, I think easily the game of the year for my money, but uh, yeah, it was a tough loss for the Bills, and I don't even know if it really changes my opinion on the Vikings. Maybe a little bit, just in the sense that like they keep winning these one-score games, which is like not what they historically do. But I fully expect them to face play in the playoffs. So uh, you know, I think it says more about the Bills than the Vikings, honestly. Yeah, the Vikings setting it up perfectly for the fifteen and two 
season <laughs> that then they lose the first playoff game at home. Yeah. I I, I, can, I will never for, not forgive them, but I will never shake. Uh, they were road favorites against the Eagles in the NFC title game after the Minneapolis Miracle with the Super Bowl in Minnesota. They win, they play the Super Bowl in Minnesota, they score on their first drive, and they proceed to lose 38-7. to uh, It was, like, the most face plant I've ever seen, and I, I, I just, that's just fully what I expect from them from here on out. Uh, as for the Bills, three losses, third in their own division now. There's a lot of games that those teams in the East still have to play against each other, Patriots, Dolphins, Bills... Um, so we, you know, I don't, wh- why not speculate, uh, on the bye week, but would be fascinating to see if those teams beat up on each other a little bit, uh, they each end up with, you know, maybe five losses, maybe, maybe the five, six losses, uh, and then the Ravens can snag, I don't want to say the one seed because of course, I mean, I do want to say the one seed, but I won't because the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Even though they have a couple of you know they have a couple of tough games coming coming up down the schedule too so, uh, but it would be great. I, I kind of view it as everybody thinks the Chiefs and the Bills are the sort of the class of the AFC. If you legitimately want to believe and dream about the Ravens Super Bowl chances, they're not going to beat both of those teams on the road in one postseason. So can we can we jump one of them and have one of those home games? Assuming it would be amazing if we only had to play one of them in, in a postseason somehow. But can the Ravens get to the two seed to either get the Bills at home or not have to face either Bills or Chiefs? So I'm looking ahead wildly. And with that, <laughs> with that, let's take it like John Harbaugh. Let's just worry about the next game. Uh, Ravens hosting the Carolina Panthers. Panthers are a weird team this year, man. Uh, they started the season with Matt Rule and Baker Mayfield. They lost some ugly coin flip type games. They fired Rule very quickly. Uh, Baker got hurt and then benched. They traded uh, Robbie Anderson. They traded Christian McCaffrey. They promoted P.J. Walker to starting quarterback. He's not that good, and yet they've won some surprising games. They blew out the Tampa Bay Bucks. They're three and seven, and are two games out of first place in the South, and own the tiebreaker against the current leader of the South, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and they currently only have two games re- remaining on their schedule against teams with a winning record. So they're stupidly very into the playoff hunt at three and seven. PJ Walker now with the high ankle sprain. He is back to the bench, and Baker Mayfield back into the starting lineup. And that is how we're going to kick off our preview here. It's the Ravens' defense against the Panthers' offense and Baker Mayfield. Uh, embrace debate, fellas, because I am going to go ahead and say that P.J. Walker had a 0.0% chance of beating the Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium. And yet I, I have to say that those numbers go up with Baker Mayfield. I don't like it. He's not good. He hasn't been good for a while now. But is there a, a now a 2% chance, a 5% chance of him doing like stupid, annoying things and getting cocky and sp- running around excitedly? Yeah, and I don't like it. So um, I think maybe Tim has done this the best with the Browns and Baker Mayfield. But Tim, walk me back from this that I can, in fact, uh, you know, sit in the recliner and, and, and put the footrest up even with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. 
I really don't think this is this hard. Um, have you watched Baker Mayfield? It's bad. It's very bad. Okay, okay. very bad. Uh, have you watched how most of his teammates at Cleveland, we found out, just couldn't stand him? I'm not surprised. Okay. All of that said, time in Cleveland, the, the historic meltdowns, the just poor play against the Ravens, even though he's talking all this ass, what have you. He's been worse in Carolina. He's been worse with the Carolina Panthers this season. And frankly, it's a worse team surrounding him. Now, do they have some weapons on the outside? They got DJ Moore, good player. Shout out Terps. Donta Foreman uh, has been has been a, a good addition. Uh, a guy that I think well, he was backing up Derrick Henry and now is getting his opportunity with Christian McCaffrey gone. And he's done relatively well. Baker's going to shoot himself in the foot. I could not be less and you know what i'm usually i'm usually trepidatious i'm usually worried and pessimistic and what have you about the ravens here when we get to the preview segment there is no doubt in my mind that the ravens lose to baker mayfield is it close maybe wait wait there's no doubt it, in your mind that they lose to ba- that they don't that they don't lose tim that they don't they lose. don't lose that was they don't lose ah, sorry ah, ah. <laughs> on, everybody's freaking out the Ravens are going to win this game. I guarantee you that the Ravens are going to beat Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers. My apologies on to, to, to the temporary, and I'm not going to edit that, so you're going to see my mistake in live time as it happened. There's no way that Baker Mayfield comes into M&T Bank Stadium and beats the Ravens. It's not happening, and he can talk all the SC once and do the whole thing. This is it for him. This is, his career is over after this season, which I'm not going to admit that I'm smiling while saying that, but maybe I'm smiling while saying that. He he's done as an NFL player. He might be a valuable backup somewhere, but even though the fact that, you know, you got to be a good locker room guy to be a backup, but it doesn't seem like Baker Mayfield is that either, unless he kind of shapes up and realizes who he is. He's been a complete and utter bust. And yeah, will he do something wonky? Will he throw like a touchdown pass? The PJ Walker probably would have missed. Sure. Are they going to spoiler alert? Are the Ravens going to win by more than 12? No, but it'll be comfortable, and I think I think that the yeah I I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it, my friend. You you mentioned in the beginning of the show your normal routine of stress eating, stress drinking, having to take a nap late in the third quarter because maybe it was one too many Tito's and tonics. We've all been there. Uh, I don't think this is that type of game. I think the Ravens are comfortably up fourteen to twenty points the whole time, and then there's a garbage time touchdown at the end to to blow everybody's bets. But the Ravens win this game, and we're just you know. It's like the Saints game last week. Where we're just kind of like, yeah, maybe a little nervy at the beginning, but yeah, we're good. I appreciate your faith, Tim, because I don't quite share it as much. I do. Oh, I man. do. Guys, it's Baker Mayfield. Hold on. But- hold on. This is the whole thing, Antonio, at the beginning of the season. Oh, the Carolina Panthers could be feisty. You got to look out for the Carolina Panthers. And I said the same thing on this show. Baker Mayfield is leading this football team. And guess what? I don't get a lot of stuff right. I was right about that. And they are horrendous, even with the couple of the wins that they have. So just, guys, come on. It's fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> I, I got to jump in here for a second. Hold on. The The Carolina conversation was about their over-under being six and a half. Uh, <laughs> I know. Ah, you you and, were saying playoffs. And that's, playoffs. that's still in play, uh, by the way, <laughs> at three and seven. They, they have to go four and three. And they, again, have two games against winning teams with a winning record, including the Ravens. 7-10, and 10, I think, still very much on the table. So that, I'm going to take a pause on that because that was the Carolina can. We were doing over-unders of wins, and 6.5, and it was their number for that. So we will see how that goes. Uh, Jace, your thoughts on Baker Mayfield in this game? 
Well, so I don't disagree, Tib, that he is having his worst season of his career by far. His 56.6 completion percentage easily is lowest. He has his lowest yards per attempt of his career. He's been really bad and probably one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, like you to consider a starter. But I just looked this up because I was curious because I agree with Antonio that he puts at least a little more fear in me than uh, should PJ Walker have gotten the start in this game. And um, four of Baker's five highest uh, yards games in the NFL have come against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, <laughs> four, four of his five highest single game yardage totals have come against this team. And I could see him pulling some more dumb crap out of his butt for a team that is coming off a bye and maybe potentially overlooking the Panthers or thinking they'll cruise to a win. I agree with you. I, I, the Ravens will not lose this game. But they also will not win it by 12 points. <laughs> uh, but I, I do agree with Antonio's premise that I'd feel much more comfortable with P.J. Walker just because Baker has had some of the best games of his career uh, against the Ravens. Now, some of those yardage ones, you know, can get inflated because you're chucking the ball. But he's had some, so, some genuinely impressive games against the Ravens in the past, too. And that, that scares me just a little bit. Tim mentioned Donta Foreman. Uh, he's averaging 4.7 yards per carry. He will get touches in this game. Uh, he will get 20 carries unless the you know, the Ravens go out to 21 nothing lead. Um, the Panthers essentially have to get him going early to have any sort of chance to get offensive flow. They're they're two percent. You know, they're two out of the 100 simulations. Are Dante Foreman gets five. Dante Foreman gets four. Dante Foreman gets six. So that then Baker can work off of play action and he can work off of third and twos. If it's second and tens and third and eights, this game is a blowout. So we will see. The Ravens have done very well so far this season at limiting, uh, you know, the sort of the dominant running backs. So that will be the challenge for them there. Would love to see David Ojabo for the first time, even if he just gets 15, you know, 15 snaps. Would love to see him. If they do, they will have. For the first time this season, the full loaded deck in the pass rush, which will be very exciting to see against Baker Mayfield, uh, who leads the NFL in passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. We talked about the dude that we have on this defense, 6'8", 6'9", wingspan of 6'9", 6'5". If I said the over-under of batted balls in this game was 4.5, would you would you take the over? <laughs> I, I like the chance, especially as you kind of, like, if, if they don't get the run game going and he has to do the traditional drop-back thing. Baker, you know, has always been a pretty solid play-action guy. Um, and, and he does the quick stuff well. It's when, when he has to just sit in the pocket and wait that disaster strikes uh, in, in his career. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Foreman. He's rushed for 100 yards three of the last four games, uh, and those three games are collectively the Panthers three best uh rushing games of the season including their season high 232 the last time out on Thursday night football um so I'm a little concerned there Foreman's a big guy he's been running hard but as we mentioned I believe earlier in the show Ravens third against the run um I do like their chances of kind of limiting him just with all the big guys they have up front and yeah I I see plenty if they're batting down Andy Dalton balls who Dalton's you know significantly taller than Baker Mayfield, who's what listed at six foot, I don't think he's that tall. Uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, I like their chances. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, over. Like, I, I completely agree that, that Baker is going to throw it into Calais Campbell and Matabike for the entire game. <laughs> uh, let's look at the Ravens offensively against the Panthers' defense. Carolina 25th in rushing yards per game allowed. We like that. 20th in passing yards per game allowed. Uh, it's it's kind of been a, a one-man show for Carolina uh, on the defensive side with Brian Burns. Uh, has seven sacks on the season. Um, good tackle numbers. Apparently was untradeable. Uh, didn't matter how many first-round picks. This is all obviously conjecture, but rumors that Carolina was offered two first-round picks for Brian Burns, and they said, no, uh, he's the defensive cog that we want to build around here. Um, two starting corners for this game are both top ten picks uh, in Henderson and J.C. Horn. Um because of one of their starting corners, and I don't have the name up, but tore his uh, Achilles in the Atlanta game, so he is out for the season. So a blow there for them. The Ravens should get Gus Bus back for this game. I mean, can it, it? Is it simple for us guys? Is it try to run the ball forty times? That's it. Manage the clock. Get four yards a carry. End of end of game. Game over. End of game. <laughs> Yeah, I don't make this more complicated than it needs to be. I, I think this is a bad team playing for an interim coach. Shove it down their throat. You know, they, uh, I believe it's Derek Brown up front. He's had a good season, too. But you should be able to make some hay against this Carolina defense. And, uh, yeah, just keep running, especially if Gus Bus is back. I think we all liked how Kenyon Drake played against the Saints. I thought he played uh, pr- pretty well. So, you know, that's a, that's a solid, pretty solid one too. And they should, they should be able to, to, to get some, some runs. And none of this, this Tampa Bay first half nonsense where we're throwing it 40 times. Let's just, you know, keep it simple. Don't d- limit your mistakes. You, that, uh, that's how, that's how bad teams win in the NFL is turnovers and, uh, you know, beating yourself. Basically it's hard. It's harder to beat yourself when you just run the ball. Bad things happen when you pass the ball. Well, significantly less bad things happen when you run. So, yeah, keep it on the ground, I say. Yeah, part of the grades we talked about, this is not a game to get cute and get complicated. Do what you do best. Don't don't put too much on tape for, you know, better teams down the road. Run it down their throat. Get out of there. Make it, make it you know, let's get this game over by 4, maybe 3.54 Eastern time because you're just burning clock and beating the brakes. I've said it again. I'm just gonna put that in the podcast title, I guess, because uh, you're just you're just owning the offense, uh, the, the the trenches, I should say, on the offensive side of the football. Um, and whether it's Gus, whether it's Kenyon Drake, whether it's a combo of the two with a little bit of Justice Hill thrown in, maybe some Pat Ricard on your and short plays. Uh, yeah, it, I think run, run, and run some more. All right, I'm gonna go through a couple of intangibles here, and then let my co-hosts pick apart what their favorite favorite one of these is. John Harbaugh against an interim head coach. Seems good. Seems like a good sign. Lamar Jackson against bad teams. 22-3 and record against teams with losing records. Ravens coming off a bye. Seems pretty good. Now, offensively, will they go three and out in their first two possessions coming off of a bye? Absolutely. Will there be a false start or some formation penalty on one of those two drives? Yes. But coming off a bye generally seems like a good good, <laughs> good thing. And then finally, because uh, it has to be said, trap game. Is this trap game? Does it have trap game potential? Trap, 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 game. What do you think about that? Am I too afraid of this? Tim has is, Tim is helped with that in some regard. What do you guys think of these uh, sort of intangible aspects? 
Yeah, I I think the Ravens coming off by as well is a big thing. Uh, they beat bad teams. It's at home. I don't I don't see the trap game thing either. Uh, yeah, I think that I think this is again and you know spoiler. I have Panthers plus twelve, but I think it is still a comfortable win for the Baltimore Ravens. It's not a trap game because uh, you should not ever be overlooking the Carolina Panthers for a game at Jacksonville. But that makes it a tra- the fact that it's not a trap game makes it a trap game. <laughs> I see. <laughs> kind of some reverse engineering there. Uh, so I'm only half kidding about that. But uh, the things I do like, I do like coming off a bye. Now the Panthers are coming off TNF, so they've had a little extra time to prepare uh, compared to normal teams as well. Would have been nice to have them, uh, you know, play this game coming after playing on a Sunday game. But, um, you know, I still like the, the Harbaugh-Wilkes matchup. Steve Wilkes, 5-16 and 16 in his career, has had the Panthers playing better, I think, than they were under Matt Rule. Uh, but, you know, Harbaugh, 143 and 91. That's a difference, a lot of big difference in experience. The Ravens, weirdly, 2-2 two and two at home this year, 4-1 and one on the road. Um, but I think this is this is the chance to start a home-winning streak here. Uh, you know, get some dubs, get some dubs in the bank. Uh, and then the big one is coming off the bye. Um, I mentioned the Panthers, but in the Harbaugh era, 11-3, and three, the Ravens are after bye weeks. Um, they, you know, they're great in season openers under Harbaugh. They're great. After bye weeks, it's just time to prepare has always been good for a John Harbaugh team. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think it continues. <laughs> I, I don't see them losing this game. I also don't see them winning um, in the same boat with Tim. I do not see them winning by 12 points. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's go to picks time, guys. Uh, we've sort of circled it enough. It Do is you Ravens. It is. Can, can you sense some hesitation here, Jace? The line is Ravens minus twelve. Well, let me hesitate some more. Last week, two and one. Just giving myself some time here. Uh, last week, two and one with my picks. Won my teaser, which we love because we love those uh, the plus money games. Uh, won the Dolphins over the Browns. Lost the Cowboys game and what was a frustrating uh, Sunday evening game 19 and 12 on the season people it's time to hop on it's time to hop on the bandwagon here this week I'm taking the Ravens I'm taking the Ravens minus 12 and I'm going to run through the Panthers last three games where they gave up let me I'm trying to do this in order here they gave up 138 rushing yards on 25 carries to the Atlanta Falcons. That was in a win. They gave up 241 yards on 39 carries to the Cincinnati Bengals. That was in a blowout loss. They gave up 167 yards on 37 carries in their overtime loss against the Panthers. I think the Ravens run for 200 yards here. I think they shorten the game in that sense. The Panthers don't even have that many possessions. It's probably slow and ugly and sluggish in the first quarter. And then all of a sudden, the Ravens have three drives in a row that all end in touchdowns. I saw that defense play on the road in New Orleans against what, in theory, is a better offense than what Carolina has. And they looked good. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it this week. I think the Panthers may only score 10 points in this game. Uh, So in that sense, I'm taking the Ravens. It's like a 28 13 28 10 type game 
uh, and they somehow cover uh, what is a terrifying 12-point spread. My other picks, uh, going with another teaser this week. I'm doubling down on the Ravens because it's a soft spot in their schedule. So I'm moving that line down to six. So Ravens minus six in this teaser. That's Obviously, I'm more comfortable with that number. Uh, the Eagles, they are traveling to the Indianapolis Colts, and this line is not high enough, in my opinion. It is currently minus seven and a half, almost certainly altered by the fact that the Indianapolis Colts looked feisty with Jeff Saturday and won a football game. I love it. I love that that lowers the number for the Eagles. I'm putting them in this teaser at minus one and a half. Uh, seems comfortable to me. And then the Bills, they've lost two in a row. They're a good football team. Josh Allen's a good quarterback. They're not losing three in a row, and they're not losing to Jacoby Brissett. So I'm moving the Bills line at home against the Browns from minus 9.5 to minus 3.5. So it's Ravens minus 6, Eagles minus 1.5, Bills minus 3.5 in a three-team teaser. And then my final pick, the Cincinnati Bengals are heading to Pittsburgh I'm going to try to confirm that. Yes, they are traveling to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they are four-and-a-half-point favorites in this game, and I'm taking Cincinnati. I think they figured out some stuff on the ground, just came off their bye. Don't believe in Kenny Pickett. Don't care that the Steelers just beat the Saints. Saints are a bad football team. I'm taking Cincinnati. I think they win this game by a touchdown, so four-and-a-half seems a bit low to me, so I'm taking the Bengals. So, as I said, I cannot, I cannot in good faith trust the Ravens to cover a 12-point spread. I think they win by 10 points. I think they win by exactly 10 points. I think they win like 27 to 17. It's never especially close. And they don't cover that spread. So <laughs> I, that's why I'm going uh, with the Panthers plus 10 just for gambling purposes. But um, should be reiterated, the Ravens better not lose this game. <laughs> um, other picks, I, I'm with you on the Eagles. I'm just taking them outright, 7.5 at the Colts. I think last week was more a uh, let's win one for Jeff and the Raiders have massive problems versus the Eagles are the only undefeated team in the NFL and, uh, you know, had a bye. They play this week, but they're going to, you know, maybe they lose. Who knows? They probably not. They're no, they're yeah, they're playing the commanders tonight. They won't lose. So they'll probably undefeated uh, heading in there. I just like the Eagles are a much better team to drop the drop the hammer on a <laughs> on a team that still is in turmoil despite their win. And then. I'm taking the Chargers to cover plus seven uh, versus the Kansas City Chiefs. It's in Los Angeles, but it will practically be a Chiefs home game with the amount of uh, red and uh, tomahawk chop chance you will hear during this game. Um, I just, you know, I, I was not impressed at all with the Chargers on Sunday Night Football uh, last night, but um, I just... They, these these games with the Chiefs get weird, and I just trusted the Chargers to find a way to cover the spread, but probably not win. So I, that's why I'm picking the Chargers minus. Uh, plus seven, it just seemed like a kind of too big to me. Yeah, uh, there's not a lot on this board this week. I did lose the Seahawks bet last week because <laughs> yeah. everybody did. I uh. uh, did, did win the Colts bet, and in the notes for last week's rundown, I had the Raiders shouldn't be favored by six and a half to anyone, and I was absolutely correct. And then lost the Bears minus three at home to the Lions. I've talked about Panthers plus 12, Ravens will win. I'm going back to the well with the Bears, who are not favored against Atlanta. And I did anybody watch Atlanta on Thursday night football? Like, I think Arthur Smith is a decent coach, but, man, they were bad. They probably rebound a little bit, but that that's a – for me, that's a toss-up type game. Justin Fields is playing well. 
Uh, so give me Bears plus three away to Atlanta. And then the one that I really hate, but I'm going to pick something anyway. I'm picking another underdog. I just love the points this week, I guess. Titans plus three away to the Packers. Um, the reason I hate this is because the Packers could start rolling. This could just be the Packers are back. Or it could be that was their Super Bowl against their former coach and a, and a premier team in the NFC. And we go back to the Packers being the Packers against a very, very well-disciplined Tennessee Titans team. Tennessee Titans team is one of the best, if not the best, run defense in the league. That, in theory, for this to work, would shut down Aaron Jones and shut down uh, A.J. Dillon. I don't think Christian Watson is going off again like he did last week uh, for, for the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers, man, like, it was good against the Cowboys, but I don't know. I, I, this is a bet on the Packers still having a lot of issues and not the Packers are turning things around. So give me Titans plus three in Lambeau away to the Packers. All right, last thing left to do is go over the random Raven one more time. Tim, can you give us those clues, please? Yeah, let's run through these. Uh, clue number one, local product for the random Raven. Went to Baltimore City's Dunbar High School and was drafted in 2001, second round, excuse me, of the 2001 NFL draft. Um, I won't go through all the stats again, but he was ridiculous in high school at both football and basketball. Clue number two, after that stunning high school career, this player went on to play at Florida State. He ended his collegiate career with 289 tackles and was a semifinalist for the Butkus Award, third team football news All-American, and a first team All-ACC selection. He also led the Seminoles to the national championship game uh, in, in his final season, which they ultimately lost to the Sooners. <coughs> Excuse me. Clue number three, before his lone season with the Ravens in 2005, he spent four seasons with the St. Louis Rams. Clue number four, in that one season in Baltimore, he started in 15 of 16 regular season games and finished with 97 tackles, four sacks, and three pass deflections. And then clue number five, this player wore the same number as my former random Raven, Albert McClellan, Brad Jackson, and Antoine Barnes. I am I'm having some some major blankish, Antonio. It sounds like we should remember this player. I will say 2005, kind of a lost season uh, for the Ravens. Um, and uh, I believe they went around six and ten. It was a Kyle Bowler year. <laughs> um, yeah, not a not a lot of good memories. I think they beat the Steelers once. That's about the only in overtime. That's about the high point I can remember. So. Yeah, I, I'm not drawing any name, but it should be so. And, you know, this player, as you mentioned, Tim, played for, like, the Rams team that lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So it seems like a prominent guy that we should know, but I, I just am not pulling a name at the moment. Also, here's a, this is not going to help you, but I just realized him and I share a birthday. He was also <laughs> born on January 18th. So there's a fun fact. Oh, in that case, uh, no, I have no, yeah. I have no idea. I don't like okay. it, but I have no idea. This is one that, if in, in, in your situation, maybe I would have been the same way, but for whatever reason, seeing his name, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy playing for the Ravens and, like, then getting the whole local kid story. This is Tommy Polly. Oh. I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember Tommy Polly. I don't know if you remember Tommy Polly. <laughs> Tommy Polly, linebacker, played for the St. Louis Rams a long time. And then came in uh, to Baltimore as the hometown kid and finished with almost 100 tackles in his one season, wow. uh, starting 15 games for the Ravens. A guy with the last I mean, name the name Polly in Baltimore going to Dunbar as opposed to Polly <laughs> must have that. That's a I Baltimore know. City joke for for those yeah. of you listeners who are local. Uh, yeah, f fantastic! A phenomenal random Raven with legit stats and cred, and I just zero idea from the two co-hosts. The name I know the name. 
and I'm pulling nothing visually in my brain. <laughs> and just the name sounds for me. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that name. But, yeah, I got nothing. Wow. This is the definition of random raven. I love it. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for us this week. It's time for the stretch, guys. The 1 p.m.s against bad teams. Can we just relax a couple of weeks in a row? Please, Ravens, get some wins, solidify first place in the AFC North, and make a run at a top playoff seed. Starts this Sunday at 1 o'clock against the Carolina Panthers. For Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.